0: I'm Christian Blood, KTSA News, and it's that time for the Jack Riccardi Show. Well, Christian, Cowboys Nation and Patriots
1: Nation <laughs> yep. united in grief. Mm-hmm. Yep. I don't even know. I'll just say this about the Patriots. I, I you know, lifelong fan grew up there. I don't even know.
0: I don't even know. Well, you kind of do. I mean, you got Belichick there, but Brady's long gone. It's a transition. No, but I mean, I best. don't know what they were thinking. I don't oh, know yeah. what those guys were thinking. <laughs> oh, And, and apparently, oh, from part. what they're
1: saying, apparently Belichick did not call that play. Uh, so I really don't know. I mean, yeah, he's gotta go, but, but I, I don't even know what they were thinking. And then, and then the Cowboys, I think we do know. I mean, don't you think they, were, they were, they were thinking about Christmas Eve?
0: You know, it's hard to say because, you know, I had a conversation with a friend of mine last night that, you know, the sky is falling and all this stuff. I said, look, here in a few hours, they may be in the playoffs anyway. And the reality is that the Cowboys became a wild card playoff team back a month ago when they lost to Green Bay. That's just how the season's gone. You know, the Eagles on the soft-serve ice cream schedule. The Vikings aren't going to catch them. Nobody's going to catch them. So it's like, you know, at the end of the day, you know the, the interceptions have to stop uh, another you know defensive collapse in the second half just like it was eerily similar to the Green mm-hmm. Bay game mm-hmm. and it's hard to say I mean were they because well,
1: looking... they're, yeah, like they're not in danger of missing the playoffs they'll be in the playoffs it's just that they'll, be, they'll they'll lose the first game and that'll be it and we'll have to hear another another list of excuses about next year and well I don't know about thing. that well
0: because the, they're they're probably going to get the, the the NFC south. I'm telling you. And that's an awful division.
1: i I'm, I'm, I know. I know. It could be, for all we know, it could be Brady. It but could be. It could be. <laughs> but I mean, I just, they are, th- there was, that was, that was ridiculous. And, and really was. And, yeah. I mean, I'm very happy for Trevor Lawrence because I've always been a Trevor Lawrence fan. And yeah. I'm glad he's emerging. He's right now, he's probably a top five quarterback uh, in the NFL at the moment. But, um, so for the last month, you know, he's had an incredible performance, but I don't know. I mean, so, Patriots and Cowboys, we we get it. Um, we'll try to not mention it too much. But I, I knew I knew I could mention it to you. I knew you would know. And yeah, I knew you would yeah. feel it, and be in grief, be in mourning. Um, so a lot of stuff going on today. We're going to start with this. Um, the January sixth committee, Democratic edition, uh, has wrapped up its work. Um, this is the last time they will meet, uh, at least publicly. And they have done the the thing that the Trump haters have fantasized about. This is the wet dream political moment for Donald Trump haters. They've referred criminal charges, or they've referred Trump for criminal charges, um, except that if you know anything about this, you know that it's actually a, a symbolic gesture. They don't prosecute. They're not a prosecutory body. They're a congressional committee. Um, so the symbolism of it is there for people that get off on that. Um, I, I have to say, I, I really continue to believe that I know you, you may disagree with me. I really continue to believe that the Democrats are doing things to Trump to entice him to run, to make sure that he will run. I don't think you can say, well, they're, they're, they're ruining him and they're afraid of him and they don't want him to be. I really think they want him to be the Republican nominee. and I think that they are doing things intentionally to to get under his skin. It does seem to work. Um, I mean, he lives rent free in a lot of people's heads, but they live rent free in his and and it, this is just an example uh, of that to me. we're we'll, we'll talk about that. We're gonna ask uh, our constitutional law expert about this here coming up in a few minutes. Um, Mayor of El Paso declares a state of emergency over the weekend. Uh, as they get ready for the Title 42 uh, wave of immigrants. i got to play this for you because this is really, this is just venomous and evil, okay? But it's what they do. Martha Raddatz on ABC News interviewed, uh, governor abbott she went on a whole she did a whole package where she flew with the national guard and she was down on the border and she interviewed illegal immigrant crossers and she had an interview with abbott she sat next to a, a national guard copter with him and she says that abbott is to blame for the open border on the southern border abbott is the re- listen to this, this is This is Olympic level gaslighting. Cut number seven. You talk
2: about the border wall. You talk about open borders. I don't think I've ever heard President Biden say, "We have an open border. Come on over." But people I have heard say it are you, are former President Trump, or Ron DeSantis. That message reverberates. In Mexico and beyond, so they do get the message that it is an open border, and smugglers use all those kinds of statements.
1: It was. It was. Hold dumb. on, hold on. Before we get to his answer, hold on, hold on. So this 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 woman who works in Midtown Manhattan and takes a car service to work and lives in a in a um, you know doorman guarded high rise is telling the governor of a border state. You know, you don't, you don't really understand the border. Let, let me, let me explain it to you, Greg Abbott. Because you say open border, we therefore have an open border. Biden is courageously trying to keep things under lock and key. You people in the Republican party keep, uh, saying those words and then the cartels repeat what you say and then the, the immigrants hear what you say. And that's why, uh, they're coming. It's, it's you guys talking about the open border. You know, I'm going to go for it. I'm going to use the analogy you're never supposed to use. You ready? That would be like me saying, well, Holocaust historians are the reason for the Holocaust. Holocaust historians are the reason for anti-Semitism. If you people wouldn't talk about Hitler, if you people wouldn't talk about Nazism, we wouldn't have any of them. I mean, that's basically what she's saying. So, he answers her, not great, but this is what he says to her in response.
3: It was known from the time that Joe Biden got elected that Joe Biden supported open borders. Uh, it is known uh, by the cartels who have sophisticated information whether or not the Biden administration is going to enforce the immigration laws or not. It's known across the world, but most importantly, known among the cartels.
1: I, not bad, but look, can we just cut to the chase? Republicans are so gun shy on this issue. They are so just unable to speak frankly. And it goes back to when Trump was accused of, of calling all Mexicans racist, uh, uh, rapists and, and murderers and so forth. Republicans have got to get over. We're never going to save this until Republicans get over the, the, um, the corner that they have allowed themselves to be painted in. They always sound like they're playing defense on this issue, and they're and they not. A majority of people in this country, a majority of people in each party in this country, a majority of people in each region of this country know that we have a problem, know that this is a crisis, know that it is dangerous, do not hate people from other countries, but respect our sovereignty, and Republicans are the only ones we have left who can talk about it, and they're afraid to talk about it. And they are they talk about it with one hand tied behind their back. And I would have told her, who the hell are you to come down here for a few hours and lecture me about how it works? Why aren't you covering the real reasons for this? Why aren't you pressing the people that are running the border? You've got the ability to do it. They'll come on your network. So, I, I I mean, she's doing what she does. But are you? am I the only one that just thinks Republicans just have a very hard time? They're so afraid they'll be called racist. They're so afraid they'll be called mean. But when I talk to people, including a lot of Hispanic people that are first-generation Americans, they're more upset about this border than any Republican I've ever heard of. They speak more frankly about it than any Republican I've ever heard. If you could hear the things I hear, you'd put these people in office right now. And I don't understand why these Republicans are still so just broken on this issue. So we got that. Remember Will Hurd, the former Republican congressman? He got all crazy about Trump, and then he didn't run for re-election. And that's the Gonzalez seat now in the House. Anyway, Will Hurd was on CNN. And he was talking about the border crisis and, and title 42. I I want you to hear this because you will understand how this, how this hit me when I heard this. Given Will Hurd's hand wringing and, and, and play acting over Trump and, and Trumpian Republican politics. Listen to Will Hurd on CNN
3: really is a crisis. Um, I think President Biden, to show that there's going to be a change, he has to get rid of all of his officials that were involved in border security. I think that includes Secretary Mayorkas because they have no credibility in the United States. They have no credibility outside the United States and people outside the United States think that the U.S. has open borders, uh, which it doesn't. And these communities, uh, a place like El Paso, these are in, inhumane policies. Um, I could make an argument that President Biden's policies are more inhumane than Donald Trump's, and Donald Trump's was terrible. It was the worst of any president before him, because you're going to be having thousands of people sleeping. You See how he had to sh- get
1: that in there? He he started to go down the road of Biden is screwing up the border and there's a, but, but Trump was terrible. He's They're so afraid. They're so damn afraid will Hurd was so afraid he left Congress you know he was he was afraid I, I admire his service to the country thank you for your service to the country and the but 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 you you don't have the stomach for this fight and all the while you were wringing your hands about Donald Trump you handed the country over you handed the country over to somebody that is opening the border no they're not going to say they are geniuses but that's what they're doing so yeah, if you talk about the problem, you're the cause of the problem. You get that? That's the new rule. If you point out something, then you caused it, according to Martha Raddatz and, and these journalists. And then another thing that happened over the weekend, um, Elon Musk put a poll on Twitter, should I stay on uh, or or resign as the CEO of Twitter? He just bought Twitter. And when you ask a question like this, I can promise you the answer will will be no, because the no voters are way more motivated to vote. The haters, the 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 people that think uh, Elon Musk is is you know Satan, um, they're they're motivated to vote. You and I could care less. We had other things to do this weekend. I didn't vote in this stupid poll. I didn't even know it was happening till it was almost over. Um. But you're going to bring the haters. Out. I mean, if I did a survey on this show, should I be fired or should I step down? A, a solid majority of people would say yes, get rid of Riccardi. I mean, that's that's because you bring those people out when you ask that question. So my question about Elon Musk is, apparently he does not want to be the CEO of Twitter. I wonder why. Now maybe he's got, you know, he's playing 4D chess here and maybe you could say, well, he'll continue to run it no matter who the CEO is in name. Um and I'm not one of those people who thinks Elon Musk is a conservative. He's not on our side. He's not. I don't agree with him on most things, and I'm not counting on him. But um, I thought it was very interesting that he would ask a question. Anybody who knows anything about a survey like this would know you're going to get a no answer. Um, and he said he would abide by it. So apparently he will He will not be the CEO of the company he just spent $44 billion or whatever it was uh, to buy.
4: Just hear those sleigh bells jingling, ring, ting, ting. Come on, it's lovely weather for a sleigh ride together with you. Outside the snow is falling and friends are calling you. Come on, it's lovely weather for a sleigh ride together with you.
1: Mm, Got some of that global warming coming up later in the week, looks like. Brace yourselves. Winter's over. No more winters. That's That's what they said several years ago. Winters are a thing of the past. All right, Jack Riccardi, five fifty one zero seven one KTSA, welcome to Monday, the late afternoon show, uh, 210-599-5555, you can be on, 210-599-5555, later on we're going to talk about uh, Christmas movies, I'm going to make some people mad, I, I, I always do with this discussion, because there's a movie everybody loves that I don't think is that great, and then we're going to talk about porch pirates. That's our question on the JR poll. It's the time of year. Um, and what do you think about the Twitter thing? I mean, I, you know, I, I think Elon Musk is, is a guy you got to be very wary of. I, I don't think he's a conservative. I, I don't think he's a movement or ideology guy. Um, you can, you can be very grateful for the curtain he's pulled back and the revelations that have come out and the discomfort he has caused to people. In tech and in government who needed to be made uncomfortable. Uh, but I don't know what the hell he's doing. I, I, I don't really know what his game is. So I appreciate the stuff that I understand, but there's a lot of stuff I don't understand. Now in the latest trove of, uh, Twitter hunter laptop revelations, um, we're, we're learning about how much the FBI was involved specifically in back and forth communications, uh, over that laptop. But also, but also, something a lot of people have noticed is, okay, the FBI had influence on Twitter and how they handled this and other stories, but there's also a hell, I mean, there's over 80 FBI agents that are tasked with working with Twitter, which is weird, right? I mean, you, you just, it doesn't seem like it would be a top tier assignment of the FBI. But the other thing we'll learn is how many former FBI people were in, were in Twitter, worked for Twitter. Everyone you, you turn to, every name that comes up in this story is somebody that went from the FBI to Twitter. And you know what it reminded me of was how often you see people, if you cover politics, you very, very often see people who go from being a member of Congress or a congressional staffer to being a lobbyist. So they go from being the people that write the laws and make the laws to the people that lobby for and and pay for the making of laws and regulations. And there's this incestuous back and forth between Congress and that sector so that eventually it's hard to tell who's who. And the laws of our country, many of them, which you you learn in school are written by congress and and voted on by congress are really written by people in the private sector who have the most at stake industry x writes the laws writes the regulations that govern industry x and then they pass it through the congress and they make sure it will pass with their dollars and their influence and threats and whatever else they have to do and it works because there's there's you know, familiarity, you know, people are on a first-name basis between lobbying and lawmaking. And that's what was happening, I think, at Twitter. I think it was very easy for the FBI. It's one thing, for if you get a call from the FBI, that's out of the clear blue. You're not expecting it. You didn't wake up that morning expecting the FBI to ask you to do something or to pressure you to do something. But if you have friends and colleagues because that's where you used to work. That is very natural and easy and low flow and no pressure. And, you know, of course, I got it. And so there's a, there's not just a collusion there. There's no line there. These tech companies are indistinguishable from the government. Now, if you are a blogger that wants to write about the overreach of the federal government, if you're somebody that wants to argue for libertarian ideas, if you're somebody that wants to argue about the primacy of the Constitution or the, the rights of the individual, if you want to, quote-unquote, speak truth to power, as the old saying goes, how are you going to do that on a platform ostensibly set up for you but that is actually a government-controlled entity? Or to put it another way, you wouldn't start a blog that was anti-government. You wouldn't start a, a a thread on Twitter that was anti-government or anti-the powers that be if you knew the only place you could go with it was to something run by them. And that's what we have here. And I, I really think we're past the point where people always ask about how do you fix Twitter, how do you fix... We're, we're really past the point where that's the question. The question really is, how are you going to, I don't care who you elect as the next president or who you're, you're hoping is the next president, what do you do about the FBI, which has turned into something that it was feared from its very beginnings. It is turning into and has turned into something its critics for its entire 100-year history have feared it would be. And I don't know how you do that. I don't know that one president can do that or one term of, of, of a president uh, can do that. I, it, clearly, it wouldn't just be appointing a new director. It's turned into something that is indistinguishable from these tech platforms. Well, it's KTSA, late afternoon show, 210-599-5555. Uh, before we get to the uh, J6 committee and Trump's referral, uh, it, it's coming down this afternoon that uh, the Supreme Court has issued a temporary halt of the lifting of Title 42. Title 42 is supposed to go away tomorrow, and uh, the Supreme Court has said temporarily that they may not uh, stop that. We talked about it last week. It's a, it's a, um, it's a, a very old, uh, law. It's about an 80 year old, 90 year old law, but it was invoked by the Trump administration during COVID. And it is the premise for the exclusion of a lot of, um, uh, asylum seekers and illegal immigrants. So the Supreme Court is saying temporarily that cannot go away. And there have been both Republican and Democratic, uh, members of Congress and governors urging, uh, Biden not to let it, uh, go away. Let's bring into the conversation constitutional law expert and professor of law at St. Mary's University, uh, Bill Pyatt on our KTSA Connecticut quality water softeners newsmaker line. Uh, so first of all, professor, was, this is not the, the thing we were going to talk to you about, but since we're just learning about it, um, what would your, how will this play out? I mean, will, will, will this, uh, is this something now where the Biden administration will get to answer the temporary uh, halt?
3: Yes, uh, the Supreme Court Justice Chief Justice Roberts gave the uh, Biden administration till five o'clock tomorrow afternoon to respond to the request. So in the meantime, the the Title Forty Two remains in effect. And if the Supreme Court gets the Biden response by tomorrow afternoon, presumably by the time that it would have expired on Wednesday, the Supreme Court will either stay the uh, the cancellation pending further review of the court, or we'll just let it go into effect and remove the stay that's been put in place. Okay. And news reports seem to indicate there are masses of new immigrants waiting to cross under the anticipation that 42 yes. will go away.
1: So either the, either Roberts, upon receiving the Biden response, uh, will say, um, we're halting it pending a full court review, or he will say, oh, okay, and the lifting of it goes forward.
3: Correct. That's what I think, will, yes, one of those two options.
1: And And what would be the time frame for a full Supreme Court hearing of the arguments for and against, and what would be the... Constitutional basis for it. I mean, I'm trying to understand what what's the what's the constitutional issue. It seems like more of a policy issue than anything.
3: Well, there is the statute that that's the subject of the litigation, the Title 42, yeah. and what is is the uh, the statute's in effect. But the Biden administration and the Trump administration, now the Biden administration, just keep continuing, it, continuing it, continuing it. There's been no congressional action or intervention. Uh, there's no. There's no formal declaration of a COVID emergency at this point, and the whole purpose of the Title 42 was to use the, those regulatory powers to keep people out who might have COVID. Mm-hmm. It's, it's rarely been invoked. I think decades ago they stopped Chinese and Philippine merchants shipping coming into the United States for a brief period of time. So the Supreme Court could decide uh, just to ignore the, the petitions and let the, uh, the Title 42 expire on its own. Or they could they work on their own time schedule. They could set a full briefing schedule, have full oral argument, and leave Title 42 in effect while they make a determination.
1: If they were leaving it in effect, though, what is their – I mean, are they saying that the – I'm trying to understand what, what it is that they would be ruling on because they're not ruling on whether Title 42 is a good idea, right? No. They're, they're ruling no. on some sort of constitutional uh, – Conflict between the president and the uh, the executive branch and the legislative branch is that it or
3: that that could be and then there is a lower court that had placed the the moratorium until December twenty first and so the Supreme Court technically would be deciding whether to extend that moratorium while all the legal issues are litigated or the, or just to adopt the lower court's determination that mm-hmm. as of December twenty first there would be no more application of Title forty two.
1: Are you comfortable with this just personally as a as a constitutional law expert? Uh, are you are you comfortable with this being decided by the Supreme Court? I, I can't get over the idea that this really is policy. The law is there, the the provision is there, and this is about whether Congress <laughs> and the President are doing what's in the best interest of the country.
3: And your your perspective on that is probably are or, or very likely to be the position that a conservative Supreme Court would take and not directly intervene in policy decisions and in disputes between the legislative and the executive branch would probably defer to those two branches to work it out rather than the court get in and trying to set immigration policy. And that was one of the underlying concerns in the lower court that said, OK, you, you've extended it over and over again. But then after the 21st, that's it. Unless the Supreme Court tells us otherwise, that's it. Yeah.
1: So now the reason we originally had asked you to come on today, and I appreciate your coming on very much, uh, is we had the uh, J6 committee, the final public meeting uh, in which they uh, referred former President Trump for criminal prosecution, but th- they're not actually a, a body that can prosecute him. They're really just inviting the Department of Justice to do this, Right.
3: That's absolutely correct. Uh, The recommendation, I think, comes as no surprise, uh, given the way the committee was structured and operated. I think it was assumed all along there was going to ultimately be this criminal referral. But you're right. Congress does not prosecute crimes. All they can do is make a referral to the Justice Department. Right now, there's little, if any, legal effect of that referral because there's already a special prosecutor looking into the January 6th issue and it would take either the special prosecutor or someone else within the DOJ to decide to initiate criminal proceedings, and probably they're going to leave it with the special prosecutor, given the the political nature of the the whole situation and given the fact that President Trump, former President Trump has announced he's running again. But a conviction, assuming that there was a determination to charge and there was a conviction, uh, that could result in former President Trump being barred from holding any public office in the United States because Section 3 of the 14th Amendment to the Constitution says that those who have been involved in an insurrection or rebellion Mm -hmm. can't hold public office. There's a statute uh, that would also apply that would prohibit him or anybody that is convicted of insurrection from holding public office.
1: Now, correct me if I'm wrong, and I may be, but I thought that amendment was post-Civil War, and had in mind the people that, you know, re- re- tried to uh, establish the Confederate States of America.
3: That was absolutely the reason for it. That's why it was written in, but the language still remains, just like the reason for a bunch of the language in the 14th Amendment was to apply to assist those who had formerly been slaves, but the courts have interpreted it right. to prohibit discrimination, not just against slaves, not just against African Americans, but on, in other contexts. So... The My question
1: though is, could you really make the context argument that January 6th was on a par with the Civil War? I mean, I'm not talking about rhetoric and people in, you know, throwing that term around because people throw those terms around very, very loosely, very casually. You, you, you've got to be very serious to say, um, I think what happened on January 6th, 2021 was akin to or the equivalent of the Civil War.
3: Yeah, you're right, but I don't think you would have to show an equivalence between January 6th and the Civil War to bar someone from public office because you have the statute that says if you're convicted of insurrection, 14th Amendment insurrection or rebellion, and it doesn't say if the insurrection or rebellion is on the scale of the Civil War. It just says right. convict insurrection or rebellion.
1: But, I mean, you, so, you would have to be careful, right, because the word rebellion, like I, when I was a kid in Massachusetts, we had a uh, they had a tax revolt, against, um, you know, property taxes. And it was all legal and it was nonviolent, but it referred to itself and, and it was referred to by everyone as a revolt or a rebellion. Uh, people revolt and rebel against all kinds of actions of government. You don't want to start, you don't want to start taking everything that goes against the powers that be and saying, well, you know, this could spin out of control and, and ultimately be an insurrection.
3: I think you're absolutely right, and I think that probably what would happen is if there was a criminal charge, of course, the government has to prove beyond a reasonable doubt each and every element of the claim, and not just that they were doing bad things or opposing the government, but they actually did acts that constitute what a jury would be instructed would constitute uh, an insurrection or a rebellion in the dramatic sense that the statute anticipates and that the 14th Amendment anticipates. And then, of course, you'd have to have a conviction. I think it would be very difficult under these circumstances to get a jury, a 12-person jury, almost wherefore everybody would unanimously agree. There may be more evidence we don't know about, but just the referral from the committee in and of itself right now has a legal effect. And, of course, in the upcoming year, Congress has has changed. The House of Representatives will be in the control of the Republicans, and so that committee's work is going to come to a screeching halt. There will be nothing more out of that committee.
1: Yeah. And, and I guess maybe there's a possibility that this, uh, referral today is a little bit of, uh, gives a little bit of cover to or, uh, gives, uh, that special prosecutor something he could hang on, right? If he, if he, if he just, if he decides to prefer charges, could say, well, you know, I'm, I'm, it's not just me. I mean, you know, a bipartisan committee looked at this and, And said, this is what should happen. So very interesting times we're living in. And professor, we appreciate you, uh, always being available to, uh, sort them out for us. Thank you.
3: Thank you very much, Jack. All
1: right. Bill Pyatt at St. Mary's University on our KTSA, Connecticut quality water softeners newsmaker line.
3: Little Jack Frost, get lost, get lost.
2: Little Jack Frost, get lost.
3: You know you don't do a thing but put the bite on my toes.
2: Freeze up the ground to take the bloom from the rose.
3: Oh little Jack Frost, go away, go away. 210
1: 599 5555 will get you in here, or you can email me Jack at KTSA.com. There was a there was a story the other day about how um and this is a I guess an analysis of census data. And it says that about half of um Young adults live at home with their parents, including even married couples where, you know, they're living with his or her parent or parents. Half of young adults are living at home. The significance of this was that it turns out people that are living with a parent are spending more money on luxury goods, designer clothes, uh, premium brand cars electronics. so they're taking the money, they're not spending on rent and they're buying themselves nicer stuff with it. You know we're going to talk about this, right? I think I've told a story before that when I was a when I was getting out of college I, when, I, when I went to college I was a commuter student. I went to a college that was very close to my house. I, I was working, so I worked a lot, I drove to school. And I, um, you know, still lived at home. I was almost never there, but I lived at home. When I graduated, I, I had these these radio jobs, and I also had a job at a at a store. And I was not making a lot of money, but I was doing the things I was planning to do. I was on my path in my career, and so I was. And I, you know, I was working a lot of hours. So my parents said, "Look, you, you should stay," um, and I was happy to do that. And I paid rent. That was not market level rent for Boston. It was not. I mean, you couldn't have got a, a real apartment or even a room for what I was paying. But I paid rent. I continued to do what I'd always done, which was to help around the house and chores and cut the grass and stuff like that. I was there for them. They were there for me. It it was not high living, and it was not oh wow what a deal I've got. I'm I'm not paying any rent. I I had I didn't have two dimes to rub together. I have no problem with people living at home. I mean, I think that's very smart if you're stacking up some savings, if you're avoiding the drama of roommates and housemates. And, you know, you, we hear these stories all the time about people that, oh, let's get a house together, let's get an apartment together, and they're, you're, you've been best friends. And then all of a sudden, three months in, you you hate each other or two of them aren't talking to the third one or whatever it is. This happens. I think living with your parents is a very, it may be very old fashioned, but I think that's fine. Pay some damn rent. Pay them some rent. These are your parents. You have any idea? You can't pay them back for what they've done to you or for you, I should say, <laughs> or maybe to you. I don't know. Pay them some rent, save some money, learn to economize because someday you will have to get familiar with Hill Country Fair, right? Don't flaunt it. Don't, don't say, well, because I'm living with mom and dad, I get a BMW. That is such a a-hole move. That really is. I mean, again, I'm not, please don't misunderstand me. I'm not, I'm not ragging on the idea that you want your kids under your roof or they want to stay, but there's a way to do that with respect. And then there's a way to do that like a jerk, right? I mean, what do you think? 210-599-5555. Do, you, do your kids live with you? You know, do you have millennial kids living with you? And presumably you're okay with that. I mean, you probably invited them to or asked them to. Um, And, you know, I mean, the way we feel about our kids, we we love knowing where they are. We love knowing that they're okay. I get it. I'm good with that. But there's a way to do it that's respectful. But if you're buying, like, you know, high-end this and designer that, that's like you're laughing at them, right? (laughs) I mean that's like you're saying you suckers instead of paying rent. Look what I'm doing. I mean that's not right. It's a way there's like it's it's all in how you do it, I think. I want to know what you think. 210-599-5555. I also saw a story. This is a little off the subject. Um, you know, we've got this thing with pronouns right now. Choose your pronouns. What are your pronouns? I'm just sticking with the ones I've always had. It's too much trouble. But now apparently some people are using, um, instead of pronoun words, some people are using emojis as pronouns. Uh, there was a TikTok video where the uh, the person in the video says, did you know that emojis can be pronouns? How the hell am I supposed to say your pronoun if it's an emoji? It's like when Prince changed his name, right? Remember when Prince, the the, the singer when he announced and it wasn't very long it didn't last very long but he changed his name to a symbol and everybody loved prince but nobody knew how to say the symbol so we just kept calling him prince or the artist formerly known as prince which sounded pretty ridiculous so i think if you if you switch your pronoun to an emoji I, we're just going to say that's the person formerly known as jeff okay <laughs> and you, and you will deserve that I don't think there would be enough people uh, Christian to work in radio if you couldn't live with your parents. I mean, I boy, isn't that the truth? Uh, you know, so I'm not against it. I'm, I I like it for all kinds of reasons. It can be good for both parties. But man, you gotta pay a little rent, help out, yeah. You know, yeah. and then don't be don't be acting like you know. Oh, I live with my parents, but here's my new you know. Here's my new Lexus. <laughs> You know, yeah. I'm going on all these trips. I mean, you can't
0: be doing that. That's just rude. It's one thing if you've got a late teen, early 20s, something to it, because I mean, there, there's a bit of a learning curve. But, yeah. you know, upper 20s, low 30s, yeah. mid 30s, and you're doing what your folks are not doing. Yeah, it's a problem. Yeah, that's a bad look. All right. <laughs> so that's what we're look. talking about. Yeah.
1: two two ten five nine 599 Uh, r- analysis of census uh, data. Uh and this is how it came to light just so you'll know why we're talking about this. So they looked at the data and they said well this is very interesting um which almost like a, a throwback this is how young people used to do it back in the day. If you talk to your like your grandparents, they will tell you that they lived at home until they got married. That was very normal, very common. What what, what are you doing getting an apartment? You know, we we've got a perfectly good house right here. So people did that and now people are doing that again. But what they found was that the people doing it—the millennials and the young adults that are living at home—are the best customers at the high-end retailers and the high-end malls and for uh, luxury cars and and uh, expensive travel. So they're just taking the money that they wouldn't that they would be paying on rent or mortgage and and doing this stuff and I don't know I that doesn't seem right to me. I mean, you're going to have to eventually stand on your own two feet. You need to do some practice. Like save some money or economize or find out that the generic brand is okay. And then and then you know, and then when you're ready to leave mom and dad's place, you'll be able to. Otherwise, what a shock it's going to be, right? If you go from this sort of artificial living high on the hog thing to get to the real world. You're going to know what to do. Ten Dave Ramseys won't be able to help you with that. Uh, what do you think? 210-599-5555. Matt is on the radio on KTSA. Matt, good afternoon. Hey, how's it going? Hey, Matt. What do you think about yeah, this man?
5: I, well, I, I mean, I agree with him 100%. You know, I mean, if you're going to live with your parents, you know, you, you need to help out with you know, rent, the bills, I, I mean, pretty much, you know, if you, if you don't, you're living for free.
1: I think even if your parents say to you, oh, we don't want any rent or you don't have to give us anything, you can still, you can still help, you can still do it, I, and you can also yes, not sir. not act like you're, you know, not act like you're uh, Elon Musk, you know, just because you've got a free true, room. True. Yeah, yeah. You're, Thank you, Matt. You're, you're, I appreciate it, sir. Uh two hundred ten five nine nine fifty five fifty five. Young adults choosing with uh young adults in the US choosing to live with their parents are facilitating a boom in luxury goods, according to an analysis done by Morgan Stanley. So this decision by millennials and Gen Zers has been great if you sell designer clothing, if you sell luxury cars. Uh, and things like that. These are their best customers. We're, we're, uh, living it up with this stuff because we don't have to pay rent. I, I mean, I guess that if you, if you feel really proud of yourself and you think that's a really slick move, good for you. But it seems like kind of a jerk thing to do, right? Like, you know, your, your parents are driving some 12 year old beater and you're parking in the driveway next to them with your brand new 2023. <laughs> Luxury car, sports car, because you don't have to pay rent. I mean, what, what, who, who does that? Apparently a lot of people do it. Uh, 210-599-5555. And again, um, I'm not trying to tell anybody. I mean, if, if your kids live with you, presumably that's all right with you, or you maybe even initiated that idea. I'm not saying don't do it, but isn't there a right way to do it and a wrong way to do it? Uh, and, um, and, and in any event, if you're doing it, it should. Everybody involved should understand that it's per, you know it's, it's temporary, right? It's not permanent or open ended. Like in my case, because I, of the career I was in, I, I had I had talked to my parents and I said, "Look, at some point, fairly soon, I will be leaving the city or leaving the state because the way it works in radio, you got to go where the job is and you have to go to a small market. I lived in a big market, Boston. I'm not going to be able to start there, so I'm going to need to move and, and And I, you know, we all understood therefore, hey, this is probably a matter of months or maybe a year, a couple of years at most. And that's what it was. 210, 599, 5555. Again, the study says that about half of young adults are living at home, not paying rent, but spending more on luxury goods. Bob is on KTSA. Bob, good afternoon.
3: Hey there. Um, yeah, they should be uh, saving up money instead to uh, pay for their first first and last month's rent and all that stuff when they get married. Mm-hmm. They
1: should
3: be yeah, saving up. Yeah, because what a shock also, that's going
1: to be when they go from one extreme to the other, right?
3: Yeah, and they're not just getting rent free, they're also getting taxes free and they're getting uh, probably yeah. food for free. Food, yeah. But also aren't their parents kind of trapped too? Because a lot of parents, they look forward to downsizing and Moving to a place where they can play more golf and things like that. Mm-hmm.
1: Well, I'm assuming if you're doing this, I'm assuming that any family that's doing this, wouldn't you think the parents have have okayed it or or have you know agreed to it? I mean, you're not trapped if you agreed to it, right?
3: Yeah, I guess, but maybe it goes on a lot longer than they thought it would.
1: Maybe, yeah, yeah. Maybe they thought it would maybe be for a matter of months. Right, right. You know, well, maybe, maybe that's the, maybe that's the trick to it then. If you want to, if you want to move them along, you got to start to make it uncomfortable, you know? Put on, put or- on those, um, put on those big band records and turn them up loud. All right, Bob, thank you. Uh, 210-599-5555. Uh, what do you think about this? Young adults staying at home, living rent free, and then splurging on other stuff. Uh, and John is next on KTSA. John, good afternoon.
2: Hi Jack, um, I'm an older guy, and I'm, you know, a lot of people did that when I was younger. But you paid the parents, saved them, the parents charged them rent, right? For food, and then they right. gave them money back when they moved out. Oh, Even okay, like like
1: to get them started. Yeah,
2: yeah, but they 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 learned the kids learned to budget. That's the big thing. Yeah,
1: I must have yeah, missed the part back about back getting it back when I moved out. I didn't get the money back. When when I moved out, but, but I will say this, I will say this. And I, and I, I mean this, what little I paid them in rent to my mom and dad didn't begin to make up for all the oh, things they had with, done for me.
2: I, I agree. I certainly agree with that. And all of, all that I'm saying, these kids need to get some idea about what it's like to budget and, yeah. food and stuff like that. So, Cause yeah,
1: it's going to hurt I, I, if they don't know it's going to hurt when they have to do it. That's true. Thank you, John. Good to have you, sir. Merry Christmas to you.
3: Frosted window panes, candles gleaming inside, painted candy canes on the tree. Santa's on his way. He's filled his sleigh with things. Things for you
1: and all right, so we've you. got a lot of exciting things coming up on the show this week, including Wednesday night, our countdown to the worst Christmas song of all time. No, it's not that one. No. I'm not talking about some song you're tired of hearing or they play in the stores too much. No, 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 no. This is, You haven't heard this song. Unless you're, unless you're a listener to this show, right, Don? I mean, people have not heard this song unless they have heard it here it's that bad nobody else plays it it's pretty bad it's pretty bad and um, we'll have that and some others uh, that go along with it coming up um, after six on Wednesday it's our annual countdown to the worst Christmas song of all time it is breaking news yes um, remember one time when I was in this position we're talking about so I had uh, I was working and I was living at home I had I graduated like that summer, and now this was maybe the fall or the following fall or winter. Anyway, um, I came back from being out, parked in front of the house. My dad was on the front porch. He, he was always on the front porch. And and I had a bag. I had gone to the mall. And uh, I forgot how it came up, but he asked me, well, where did you go? And I said, I went to the Chestnut Hill Mall. Now, going to the Chestnut Hill Mall was going to the rich people's mall. Chestnut Hill is the ultra, ultra rich area where I grew up. We had malls, you know, we had regular malls that everybody went to. I could have gone to the Natick Mall. I could have gone to the Burlington Mall. I could have gone to the Watertown Mall. But I'd gone to the Chestnut Hill Mall because it was, you know. My dad looked at the bag, looked at me, looked at the bag, looked at me, And said, this is all he said. This is all he said. Maybe we're not charging you enough in rent. And I, that hit right bullseye. I'm like, thought to myself, you idiot. See, that's the kind of thing I mean. If you're, if you're doing this, you pay rent, you help with expenses. Help around the house. Hey, you know, if you were already doing like the yard or shoveling snow, or whatever, you keep doing that. These are not your landlords; these are your parents. And then, if there's money left over because you're getting a you're getting a deal, you're not paying market rent, save it, sit on it. Because, like like John said, the, the caller uh, earlier, you know, you when you do move out, you're not just going to need monthly rent; you're going to need first and last and Damage deposit and yeah, two ten five nine nine fifty five fifty five. So this is the scenario. Apparently, more and more young people are staying at home, living at home, but not paying rent and buying more luxury goods with the money they're saving. Elizabeth is on KTSa. Elizabeth, good afternoon.
2: Hi. Yes, I, I really believe that. I mean, it's great when families stay together, working and living together. That's how dynasties were built. But you have to teach your kids how mm. to live on their own. Mm-hmm. And if they're going getting free rent and going out and buying a bunch of overpriced junk, then mm-hmm. you haven't taught them something.
1: It's going to really hurt when they get out there, right?
2: Right, right. They just, yeah. uh, they'll have no idea and no no plan, and they, you know, you just can't, that your job as a parent is to teach them that.
1: You're and really so right, right you about that, Elizabeth, because you're, you're right about that, because if you think about it, when you're young, there's, you don't have any instincts, like for bargains or penny pinching, you're not cutting coupons out when you're 21 years old, you know, so you you have to you have to learn it, you have to be shown it because you're not going to do it you know instinctively
2: right Someone has to teach you and someone has to hold your feet to the fire when you're not thinking straight and that's go. a lot of our teams unfortunately and there you sometimes go. even into the twenties
1: <laughs> I hear it thank you elizabeth all right two ten five nine nine fifty five fifty five um and again i'm I'm a fan of i look my both of my parents lived at home until they got married, to obviously to each other, um, because that back then, it, having like a bachelor pad had kind of a negative connotation, and forget about it. if you were a single woman, oh, no, no, unless your parents were dead or you had moved to another part of the country, it, it called all kinds of things into question if you were in some rooming house or... You know, what have you. So, no, they, th- this was, this was fine. This, this can be fine. You, you, you help out, you contribute to the household, you, 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 uh, save money, you put money into your savings account, and then you're ready. When the time comes, you bring something to the table and you're ready to get that, that first place. Uh, and it's not hard then. Uh, but I, 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 I mean, it's, you gotta, somebody's gotta tell this to you because, yeah, when you're young, you, all you know is what you want, right? And what you want is what you see other people with. And it's, it's natural. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not putting anybody down here, except I do think it's a jerk move to be living rent free and buying, you know, taking expensive vacations (laughs) or buying expensive things. I mean, that is like rubbing your parents' face right in it and um i is that to me is not the way to do it uh two ten five nine nine fifty five fifty five so uh how do you feel about it or how are you handling it if you're doing it right now or going through it right now from either either perspective either as the as the parent or as the uh son or daughter and John is on the radio John, good afternoon
4: hey how you doing
1: good thank you how are you oh,
4: good 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 great subject we we've been uh, through this more than a few times with uh, our kids and we had, uh, you know, the first time letting them back um, it usually ended not good and, you know, it was slamming doors and and, uh, it it took a while um, and they would go back out on their own. And then eventually, you know, a year down the road, it'd it'd be back. And, Mm. uh, but I got to say the second or third time around with, because we, we've we been through this with more than one of our kids. Um, they're happy to say, finally got it. Um, here and there, we got stuck with one of their pets or two of their pets. That, mm-hmm. that was the other thing. So now we're raising their pets, but um, but they're back on their own. And uh, happy to say, now we have 11 grandkids, and um, oh. they're all at the house, all on their own.
1: Very nice, very nice. So you're, what you're saying is... In your case, John, they left, but then came back.
4: Yeah, three times. Oh, yes, they, yeah, wow. they they would be gone for a while, you know, months yeah. or a year or two years, and then hard times hit, and they, you yeah. know, mom, they, then they'd start talking to us again. And,
1: yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah.
4: Around, it, was, it was not on good terms. You know, you yeah. know there was uh, hurt feelings, things said, and uh, they didn't like it, disrespectful. Yeah. Yeah. Um,
1: yeah. You sound like very. You sound like really good people that you that you worked that out and and worked through that. And uh, did did you did you feel like at some point you knew okay now they're set they're good they're not coming back. I mean is that where you're at now?
4: We we, we pray we pray.
1: Yeah. Is that your wife with Are you?
4: you? Set no more. <laughs> yes, this is my wife. We're,
1: we're driving and we're, we're just enjoying yourself. Oh, okay. All right. I was gonna say. It, It it sounds like you've got a committee there.
4: Yes. (laughs) You're not alone. People, you're not alone.
1: There you go. All right, so John and his wife have been through it and through it and through it. Thank you, John. Appreciate having you and and your wife. Um, 210-599-5555. Matt writes, uh, living beyond your means, Dave Ramsey would not approve. I had my own place and lived on Top Ramen. Yeah, I mean, you can... The other way to handle this, I guess, would be to just say to your kids, um, "Okay, you've completed your schooling. You need to go." And I, I'm not, I'm not going to throw any shade on that. If that's the way you handle it, um, it's probably very hard to do. It's probably uh, you probably have to put on a, a, a tough, brave face, and then you probably cry or or feel, you know, worried. But you could do it that way. You could throw them into the deep end. Um, and that's fine. But I also think you can do it the way we're talking about if, if there is some, and a lot of the emails I've received say, look, you've got to, you've got to, everybody's got to sit down and, and be formal and say, this is exactly the amount you're going to put every week, every week or every month and, and, and not like say, well, we're family. We'll work it out or we won't keep books. You got, you got to lay it out. And there's got to be rent, and there's got some people are are saying, Jack, it's not just rent; they've got to pay a percentage of the utilities, they've got to pay a percentage of the groceries, uh, et cetera, et cetera. So, yeah, I think you know, I I do think I it was easier for me when I moved out because I wasn't trying to maintain when I got my first crappy apartment. um, I wasn't trying to maintain some lifestyle. Because all my money went to that rent. I mean, when I started out on my own, you know, I think I think the rule with rent is you're supposed to not pay more than like thirty percent of what your take home pay is on where you live. I mean, I was paying well over half of it. So, um, yeah, but but you're you're you know how to do it because you've been doing it all along.
4: Children laughing, people passing, meeting smiles smile and on every street corner you oh, silver, Bell. silver Bell. All right, 539
1: Bell. Steve Perry Silver bells Jack Ricardy on 550 and 1071 KTSA, San Antonio's news talk station 210 599 we'll get you in here. Talking about uh, people living at home with their parents, but spending all that uh, non-rent money on other stuff. Retailers love it. Uh, they say that, that some of their best customers are millennials and Gen Zers who are living with a parent and not paying any rent. Seems like kind of a seems like kind of a cruel thing to do to your parents, you know. At least this you could act like you're trying to conserve and economize while they're giving you a place to stay, right? Put on an act at least. All right, 210-599-5555. Um, there was a, uh, this came out on Friday, but we really, really have a chance to talk about it on the show. A federal appeals court on Friday um, dismissed a case brought against the Connecticut Association of Schools about um, athletic transgender policies allowing men to compete on women's teams. Uh, the plaintiffs were women who run track four young women who run track and their families, and they were asking the court to revoke the records and remove wins by males running as women. Young men in Connecticut have broken 17 records and notched 15 women's state track titles in recent years, and they were arguing this was a violation of Title IX. The courts disagreed. Um, in fact, the ACLU is defending not these women, but the men running in the women's track events. You know, when we talk about this, we usually talk about the the, the gender notion and does does gender mean anything and why are we blurring the lines and what it does. We talk a lot about what it does to women and girls, and I'm not letting go of that. I, I still, mar- as the father of a daughter, I cannot believe that parents... And, and women of all ages are not raising the roof over this stuff. I don't get it. I, I don't know how there isn't a deafening outroar, uproar. But when you think about it, there's even something worse going on. It's not just the women. This really means that anything you accomplish in this society can be taken away from you. So. Not only if a woman works harder, but if anyone works harder, comes early, stays late, accomplishes more. All the things that are the benchmarks of success and accomplishment are being sacrificed for other people's feelings. Well, it will hurt their feelings if they can't run in the girls' track event. It will hurt their feelings if they can't shower in the girls' locker room or use the girls' bathroom. This is a policy that benefits a few people who have managed to guilt the majority into giving it to them. So it's not just the end of gender, it's really the end of of individuals. It's the end of of individual achievement and recognition. Hopefully we're going to figure this out before it's too late, I keep hoping. Remember when I was in school, we had, I had a lit cl- uh, class, and I wish I could remember the title or the author. We read a, a sci-fi short story about, it was set in the future, and in the future, um, the entire society was organized. Somebody may, when I describe this, somebody may know the book I'm talking about, the story I'm talking about. The society was organized around the principle of not making anyone feel bad. So if you were attractive, you had to wear a mask to make you look ugly. If you were strong, you had to wear weights to slow you down and make you weaker. Everybody with an overt skill or advantage had to be hobbled in some way to bring them down so that people that weren't good-looking, that didn't have muscular bodies, et cetera, et cetera, wouldn't feel bad. That was the whole organizing principle of this future society. And if you were, the worst thing was if you were smart. You know, it's one thing to have a pretty face or a good body. If you were smart, you had to wear a thing in your ear that gave you a constant, uh, agonizing headache so that you couldn't use that brain. Now, this was sci-fi. It was written to be absurd. But it sounds like we're heading that way. It sounds like everything we're doing is about telling people that have achieved and accomplished, you don't deserve that, you didn't build that, you shouldn't have that, and the reason they shouldn't is because somebody else feels bad. Rather than saying, well, how can we help people who don't have it get it, we're saying how can we take it away from people who have it which is sick there's no other word for that that's just sick i mean if that's your thought and you're thinking that way that's one thing you're free to think whatever you want we're putting people in power we're putting people in responsibility we're writing laws we're letting them run our schools with that thought in mind humble the the, the proud bring down the the mighty strike down the the achievers and if they object, if they say, well, what about the work I put in? What about my call them selfish? Call them haters. Call them. We use the word phobia a lot. I had a conversation with my friend about this the other day. Phobia is a fear of something. It doesn't, it, it's not supposed to mean you disagree with it. So if I'm Christian, that doesn't make me Islamophobic. Because that would mean I was afraid of somebody from another faith system. It just means I don't share their faith system. I'm not phobic of it, but we're using words like that, and we're shaping the way people perceive themselves and others. That story, and I wish I could remember the author, I think it was a short story, was the path we're on now. Believe it or not. 210 599 Um So we'll talk about that. I'm talking about kids, uh, young people. I say kids. We're talking about uh, teens and 20s living at home, living with their parents. You have a job. You're earning money. But maybe for whatever reason, you don't want to get your own place or it would be a stretch to do it. So you live at home. But instead of paying rent, you're buying stuff with your money and having this lifestyle that not paying rent allows you to have and according to high end retailers, that kind of customer is now one of the biggest parts of their of their business. Audie is on five fifty and one oh seven one KTSA. Hi Audie.
5: Hi, how you doing? Thanks for taking the call. Yes, sir. Hey, listen, yeah, this, this is why I simply look at it. First of all, I'm a I'm a parent of two young men, two adults that live on their own. But I think what's happened in our society. We're not preparing them to be independent of their parents. Mm. So what happens mm-hmm. is they struggle through life. Instead of them being independent adults, they learn to be overgrown dependents. Mm-hmm. And then the parents the parents become their insurance program. So if they fall short, they know somewhere in their mind or their heart, I can go back to mom and dad. Mm-hmm. In those cases, a uh, uh, case-by-case scenario, but just to come there just because you're in the midst of struggle, no one succeeds without struggling. Mm-hmm. But what if the parents are not there? Then they have to stand on their toes, 10
4: yeah. toes deep. Yeah. And
5: what, hap- what, and, what and, the, and we're sending them a signal because we're enabling them, but we want them to be adults. Mm-hmm. We can't do that. And then there's consumerism that goes on. So they take mm-hmm. their money. It becomes part of their luxury instead of taking care of their responsibilities as, as an adult. So it becomes discretionary income to them. But then actually out of there, they live in high in the hall on a neck bone budget. Yeah. And then it's cosign. instead of being firm with your kids and, and teach them, being independent of is a good thing. because we may not always be there, so make yourself in yeah. preparation to be independent of your parents, not always dependent. Because the tur- the table should start turning where they should put themselves in the position at their parents age, oh, at their age to be there to assist them. Right, right. Now, right. Them.
1: Yeah, forget about that. That If we don't do this right, there's no way they'll be able to ever help us when we get uh, up there. Listen, do you think there's a way to let your adult child live at home, pay rent, contribute to the budget, put a limit on it, you know, we're only doing this temporarily? Can that be done responsibly the way you're saying, or is it just a bad idea no matter how you do it?
5: I think based on the scenarios and the conditions, of every situation is different. But there may come a time and a period to do that. But I think that has to be clearly understanding yeah. that this is temporary. Yeah. It is yeah. not to get in here and get comfortable because you no. end up being complaining no. and you're not going to succeed without having some adversity. So you have to really put some strict measures all in love. It's all in love. We want we don't want them to live like they're living in a prison in a home. We want them to be comfortable. But they got to understand it's yeah. not their home. They once lived there, but now they're an adult. They live under the conditions of the parents, not the conditions of yeah. the young child or the young young parent.
1: Well, I'll tell you what, Audie, you're the best. You're the Church. best call. I've- your best call we had on this. You make a great set of points. I, if you had a talk show, I'd be listening to you.
5: Oh, thank you, thank you, sir. Th-
1: thank you it. for calling, Audie. I
3: appreciate it. Great job. Oh, there's no place like home for the holidays Cause no matter how far away you roam When you pine for the sunshine of a friendly gaze For the holidays, you can't beat home, sweet home. I met a man who lives in Tennessee. He was heading for Pennsylvania and some homemade pumpkin pie. There you go. KTSA,
1: we'll say this. We'll say this. When I moved out and I moved away from home, um, as a young man, and I, I, when I first moved away, I moved about three hours because that's where my job took me. I was about three hours away. I had a deeper, richer appreciation about Christmas, Thanksgiving. There is something about distance and being away from your family and not seeing them constantly that makes it so much better. I wish I could tell every person that is, you know, Bickering and fighting with their parents or parents that are, you know, constantly at the throat of their kids because that that can happen if you if you're all under one roof that can happen and it does happen. Let's not pretend it doesn't. But but when you move away, you're going to love them and appreciate them and see them differently and and be so grateful when you have time with them or you get to a, a meal that your mom cooked or your dad's cooking or whatever it is. It was a great thing. Great. I remember those first few Christmases. It was like it was like they were like. It was like starting all over again as far as understanding Christmas. So. Uh, 210-599-5555. Do you know who Rob Schneider is, the comedian and actor Rob Schneider? If you don't follow him on Twitter, you should. I will tell you this. A very interesting guy. He he had a fan, a guy named Vaughn, say to him, uh, Rob Schneider, I love you. I even have tickets to your concert in a couple of months, but I come on Twitter to get away from all the politics and stuff. I I, and it's Basically, he's, he's attacking Rob Schneider for expressing political points of view on Twitter, which he does a lot. Schneider's response. Hi, Vaughn. I make my living as an actor and comedian. I love my job, but I love people and my country and freedom of expression even more. I believe in every way possible each of us should be examples to others of standing up for what you believe in in the face of authoritarianism. And another tweet: I believe we in Western civilization have departed from the age of reason, and are now falling into the age of emotion. That—that's the Connecticut story, right? We're in the process of trading critical thinking and logic for the excesses of how one feels. In quotes, rational people are the new heretics who dare question it. This is Rob Schneider. I mean, kind of a goofy, slapsticky kind of guy, right? This is who he is. Very serious about this stuff. You follow him on Twitter, you'll see what I mean. He's saying, you know, I, I get it that people want an escape from this, but we're kind of living in times where you, you don't want to escape from it too much because, um, this is about you, whether you think it is or not. The, 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 the track, the, the girls track team in Connecticut is about you and it's about me. We're not in Connecticut. We're not girls. We're not running track. This is absolutely about us and how we live and how we will live. Christian, have you heard this? Um, this is a very bizarre story. Have you heard about the swastika crossword? No.
0: Can't say I. This is crazy.
1: So I love crossword puzzles. I do them all the time. I enjoy doing them. I I always think to myself, how do people make a crossword puzzle? Like I would have no idea. Right. How do you get that to, you know, anyway, the New York Times is being, uh, ripped tonight, because yesterday, which happened to also be the first night of Hanukkah, the crossword puzzle in the New York Times is shaped like a swastika. It is? And I'm looking at it, and I mean, it. I don't know if I would have noticed it without somebody pointing it out, because if you look at the white and black blocks, there's like a pattern, and when you step back from it or you look at it at some distance...
0: It's the shape of a swastika. You're talking about the crossword puzzle. In the New York Times yesterday. Hold on, just pulling this up. Ah. Okay. And hard to avoid. Gosh, I, I want to dismiss that, but that's kind of tough.
1: Well, I mean, I, I want to be fair. I, I, I would imagine that it's got to be hard enough to, to construct one without also constructing an intentional shape. So yeah, I, right. maybe this is in you know this could very well be unintentional and and a terrible uh, coincidence, um, but uh, hmm. people are are very upset with them and um, uh, attacking it and saying it was it was in poor taste and it was disgusting and and what have you and and then some people are saying is it subliminal messaging is it a statement about you know Israel I don't know because again I don't even know how the heck people make them you know.
0: Yeah, I would need to see something in the way of evidence that suggests that that was intentional. Because, see, a newspaper that big, when you're having to, like you said, it's got to be difficult to create a crossword puzzle, right? So I'm betting that after so many decades of of print demands in newspapers, because mm-hmm. these, have been, it's not just you know online; it's newspapers as well. Yeah. There's got to be automated templates for these things you would uh, think th- well yeah you would think i mean that's tough to come up with that content daily you've yeah. got to have a stockpile of of go-to questions answers so forth um that's just my guess i so, think you'd also have to it's it's such a it's such a strong uh
1: accusation i think you'd also have to be able to say all right well what who wh- you know like what, what was the what was the intention you know what's the motive what's the What's the mo or the motive of this uh, of this crime, if you will? Yeah, um, I mean, if I, this person has no track record of being yeah. bigoted or anti Semitic, I'm going to say that it just
0: you know it I just like happened. to I, just in closing, I like to get all the facts before mm-hmm. throwing out a bunch of accusations. Right, right. You know, I well, think that's critical. There's a few
1: of us left. Yes, <laughs> all right, all right. Kristen, have a good night. You too. Uh, yeah, if you want to check it out, uh, just just Google New York Times. Uh crossword or swastika crossword it, it is it is unmistakably the, the pattern of it is unmistakably there um, but uh, people are saying it was done on purpose Donald Trump Jr. among those attacking the New York Times uh, for doing that um, Joe Biden was in the news over the weekend he told a story about his uncle Frank winning the Purple Heart at the Battle of the Bulge He said that um, he was doing an event in Delaware with veterans. And he said that uh, when he became vice president with Barack Obama in 2008, his dad said Joey, Uncle Frank fought in the Battle of the Bulge. He's old, he's not well, he never got the Purple Heart. Could you get it for him? You know, Biden's stories always have that element of he came through he you know he delivered for people so he gets the purple heart his dad says could you make a presentation of it to it to uncle frank he goes to give it to uncle frank uncle frank says i don't want it i don't want it and the point of the story is that uncle frank felt that because he had lived he was privileged and and other guys died and it was it was biden's way of of saying this is how humble veterans are. But Joe Biden's father died seven years before he became vice president. His uncle died even further back than that. Neither of these men were alive at the time of the telling of the story. And Uncle Frank is not a Purple Heart honoree. So people always say, well, this means he's losing his mind or he's getting old or it's senility or whatever. But I always point out to people with Joe Biden, that would that would only make sense if the lying and the fabricating had started in recent years. Even then, it's very offensive to equate lying with senility. I have relatives that are that have Alzheimer's or dementia. They're not liars. They, they, they do see things that aren't there sometimes they do have faulty memories but they might misremember a thing that happened or when it happened or who was there when it happened but they're not they're not telling me war stories about wars they didn't serve in you know don't don't insult people who ha- really have dementia they're victims they're not liars. The problem with Biden is he's been lying since he was in his 30s and 40s. He's been telling lies that are just as egregious when he was at a, of an age that he couldn't possibly have been suffering from dementia. And then you even wonder if, is this sort of being clever by half? There was a mobster back in the day. You know, I'm kind of a true crime buff, and I love all the books about mafia and organized crime. And there was a guy named Vinny the Chin in the New York crime community, if you will. And he was a bad guy. And he was a tough guy. And he killed people, and ordered the killing of people. He wasn't some white collar criminal, he was a he was a very bad man. And he became very powerful. You know, as you rise up the ranks, and other guys die or die off, and you get, you know, you get to where you're one of the bosses. And Vinny the Chin rose to the top. But Vinny the Chin's gimmick was that he always acted in in, in public, or when he knew he was under surveillance, or when they would haul him in for questioning, whether it was the FBI or the NYPD. Vinny the Chin acted like he was crazy, and the older he got, the more convincing. The act became because he was muddled and muttering, and he would mumble things and slur his words and 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 talk gibberish. Now, people that knew knew this was an act. People that knew the score knew that he was as lucid as anyone, and and again, very dangerous. But he played it off as well. Look, I'm just some guy. I sh- he'd shuffle around in a bathrobe in, in the street, and you know. I'm just some guy. I don't know whether I'm coming or going. I really wonder if the people around Biden, and I I can't prove this, and I'm not saying I can, but I really wonder if the the quote-unquote faux pas and gaffes are some kind of political version of Vinny the Chin, like, oh, this guy, you know, we don't have to worry about him. Look at him. He doesn't know where he is. Isn't that a pretty convenient disguise for someone that is actually an agent of change. Isn't that a pretty convenient disguise? If you don't want people to feel threatened, well, he's on his way out. You know, know. look at him. Uncle Frank, you know, I don't know. something to think about. I, um, I'm not saying again that it's absolutely the case, but it could be. I do think, and I've said this before, I don't, I don't think the people running the country um, are under any uh, illusions about Joe Biden. He was the Trojan horse that they rode in on, or in inside of in twenty twenty. So he was the guy that you dragged into the city, you know, through the gate into the city as a voter because he seemed harmless and mainstream, and he promised unity and. All his life, he had never been a very disruptive or radical person. He was a middle-of-the-road guy. I mean, he really was. But no sooner did he get into the White House than all these people crawled out of his belly, figuratively speaking. And we have the most radical policies on everything from immigration on down. We have policies that are not even remotely like Obama's policies, and Obama was this guy's boss. And the most recent Democratic president. But The border looks nothing like it did when Obama was president. So, is he a Trojan horse? Is he Vinny the Chin? Is he something else? 210-599-5555.
3: Christmas is children who just can't go to sleep. Christmas is memories, the kind you always keep Deck the halls and give a cheer All the things that Christmas is each year Christmas is carols to warm you in the snow Christmas is bedtime when no one wants to go All the world is tinsel. So I'll tell you what, I,
1: I, swear, I swear I sound just like him in the shower. You'll never know, but I, I know I do. I know I do. The trick is sounding that way out of the shower. There's Lou Rawls, 210-599-5555 on KTSA. Um, not many places uh, on the radio where you can be talking about uh, Vinny the Chin and then Will Ferrell, but this is one of them. I'm asking you, uh, what's your favorite all-time Christmas movie, the one you've got to see this year and every year? Puts you in the mood, part of your tradition. you have a favorite Christmas movie, 210-599-5555. I wrote about it today at KTSA.com. You can check out that list there. And Mac is on KTSA. Mac, good evening to you, sir. Happy, happy uh, Monday. Merry Christmas.
3: Same to you, Brad. Appreciate you uh, bringing me on. Um, I was just calling in, uh, about your favorite movies, and I'm sure you'll probably hear this as the evening goes on, but I had two that I just could not separate as okay. all time favorites. And um, the first one that comes to mind is Elf with Will Ferrell, of course. Oh, yeah. And then, yeah, uh, and then Christmas Vacation with Chevy Chase.
1: Oh, man. You see, you and I are like, we're like uh, brothers from a different mother because. Exactly. I love both I love both of those. I just watched Elf. I'm not even kidding. I just watched it last night.
3: <laughs> well, I'm waiting. I'm going to hold off because it's a tradition with my family. But we watch those oh, nice. movies. I'm holding on. Nice. Up. Yeah. yeah. The
1: thing about Elf that I love, I mean, Will Ferrell is great, but that whole cast, like I was saying to somebody yesterday, how who knew James Caan could be so good in a movie like that? Oh, and funny. Absolutely. And funny. And, yeah, everybody yeah, in it is fantastic. So, yeah, I'm with you on that. And National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation, that is my all-time favorite Christmas movie. I just, I, I, I get Clark Griswold, you know. He's just, <laughs> I get him. The epitome you epitome of every great.
3: family bed.
1: Yeah, great call. Great choices. Thank you. All right. I'm singing.
3: Christmas I'm in a store and I'm
1: singing.
5: <laughs> yes. I'm in a store and I'm singing. Hey! There's no singing in the North Pole. Yes there is. No it's not. We sing all the time. No it's not. Especially when we make toys.
1: Yeah. Really I I really love that movie. Um Zoe Deschanel I think is the actress's name. I love her. Oh, she's so beautiful. Great voice. Uh the scenes with them just really nice. Um It's a, it's a touching movie. It's funny. Yeah. I mean a Christmas movie is going to do one of three things, right? It's it's either going to connect with the spiritual aspect of the year, of the the season. Or it's going to tell a story that you can relate to. Or it's going to make you laugh. Those are basically the three things a Christmas movie or a holiday movie can do. So it's either spiritual, relatable, or entertaining. And Christmas vacation is definitely relatable and entertaining. You know, I mean, the Griswolds Christmas mishaps. Come on now. Maybe you didn't have them all in one year, but you've had them all, right? Another one I love, and I think this would make a lot of people's lists, is Miracle on 34th Street, the original one. I don't think there's ever been an actor playing Santa Claus better than Edmund Gwynn. And if you haven't seen Miracle on 34th Street, I'm talking about the original, Um, Edmund Gwynn at the beginning of the movie is not playing Santa Claus, but he steps into the role of playing Santa Claus. And the movie is about why Edmund Gwynn is so good at playing Santa Claus. But if you haven't seen it, I don't want to ruin it for you, so I'll just leave it right there. Okay? I mean, there's a reason this guy would be so good at playing Santa Claus, right? I love a Charlie Brown Christmas. I have it on DVD now, but when I was a kid, I've, t- I've told this story before, when I was a kid, those things would only come on once a year, and you either saw it or you didn't. Like, I think it was CBS that always had the Charlie Brown specials. And, I mean, if you missed it, if it was the night that you weren't at home, or <laughs> too bad, wait till next year. But now you can watch it any time. Uh, White Christmas is another one. So what are your favorites? 210 599 55 We'll talk about that. We've been talking about the uh, Porch Pirates thing. It says here that uh, 260 million delivered packages were stolen last year alone. And with online sales becoming a bigger and bigger percentage of total retail sales, there's going to be more stuff on more front doorsteps to steal. It is a $20 billion a year crime. According to one estimate, company called SafeWise compiling these statistics, package thefts are on the rise. Wouldn't you think, and I don't know the numbers on this, but wouldn't you think with more and more people having video doorbells that this would be harder to do, but it speaks to the audacity of the people doing it, you know? I mean, there's an increased chance you'll get caught, but... There's also more audacity. I mean, I think you see that all across society, not just with sealing packages off porches. I, if you think about the crime wave, it's not only because of defunding police or relaxing prosecutions and what have you. It's it's also that that the culture of people that have decided they can ha- help themselves to your stuff. That culture has become more adventurous. Audacious, encouraged. One expert uh, in the story I was reading says that being a porch pirate is a very low-risk and very low-skill crime. It takes no skill to walk up and steal a package. They say in the vast majority of cases, the people stealing don't even know what they're getting. They're just figuring whatever it is, they'll benefit from it one way or the other, directly or indirectly. Results on the JR Poll is half hour. We'll see how you voted on the um, Porch Pirates question. Porch Pirates. It's like we're dressing that up a little bit. Uh, 210-599-5555. Do you have a favorite Christmas movie? We've been kicking that around a little bit. The I remember years ago there was an a, a absolutely heated debate about whether Die Hard should be considered a Christmas movie. And you, I mean, people that are movie buffs definitely come down in one camp uh, or the other. Um, for me, the reason it's a Christmas movie is because the bulk of it takes place on Christmas Eve and around Christmas. The whole point of John McClane's trip is Christmas. Um, and it it is just insinuated through the movie, obviously, John McClane goes to a place where his wife is having or his ex-wife is having their Christmas party. It's um it's, it's it's got Christmas in it all through it. It's a Christmas movie. A movie that has one scene or covers a lot of maybe let's say a movie that, that takes place over a long period of time and and some of that is Christmas, that may not be a Christmas movie. But I think I think Die Hard is a Christmas movie. Would you have a favorite uh, Christmas movie? Uh, we've got votes for Elf, National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation, a Holiday Inn. Uh, Don Cooper, our producer, mentioned Going My Way, which I don't know. I don't kind of think of it as more of a movie that touches on Christmas, but most of it doesn't really take place during Christmas. Um, you know, another one that obviously a lot of people will pick is It's a Wonderful Life. And that's another one like the Charlie Brown Christmas where at one time, And I I don't remember the legalities of it. Do you remember, Don, how that was only on once a year for many, many years? There was some deal with the rights, and it could not be widely disseminated or shown Mm -hmm. on a lot of different channels or networks. So NBC, I think, for many years had the exclusive one-night, one-time airing of It's a Wonderful Life. Mm -hmm. I may be wrong about the network, but... Um and now that movie is all over the place. Yeah, it become uh, I think it once well, you know what? I I
3: think it's that's changed somewhat, but uh, at some particular point in time I think it became public domain. So uh because the Yeah, either uh, the that or maybe the movie it was just, had run Yeah, out. maybe mm-hmm. they
1: just reworked the rights, but mm-hmm. um and that really is a movie that's about more than Christmas. It just happens to be set, you know, during Christmas, but you could argue, I guess, both ways on that. Home Alone, you know, really cool. Uh, not only funny, but really cool. Sto- There's a great scene in Home Alone, if you've ever seen it. Again, I won't ruin it if you haven't. There's a great scene where Kevin, the little boy played by Macaulay Culkin, he's in a church. It's not a church service. It's a choir practice. But he's sitting in this church, and in comes his scary next-door neighbor that he's been afraid of his whole life, and the kids in the neighborhood think this guy's a serial killer. And Anyway, they have this little, if you've seen the movie, you'll know what I'm talking about. They have this little chat that is so moving and beautiful and memorable um, that it, for me it actually makes the movie. I mean, I, I know there's a lot to love in the movie, and it's very funny, and Joe Pesci and all that, but that, that scene in the church is a great, great scene. 210-599-5555 if you want to put a vote in on your favorite Christmas movie of all time. Looks like we're going to get some definite Christmas weather later in the week. This was interesting. I um I posted this on Facebook this morning. Are you a fan of uh I think they call them it's it's a conspiracy theory called time travelers. Do you know what that is? So once in a while, somebody will dig up a photograph or a bit of movie footage from the distant past. And they will say, look at this person in the picture or the video. Isn't this Nicholas Cage? <laughs> Only this is a picture from the 19th century. Or isn't this somebody dressed as a modern-day person, but this is a picture taken in you know, um, 1900 or something. So there's been one going around of a woman in a Charlie Chaplin movie called The Circus. And in this scene, there's a bunch of women walking along in the street. It is a scene from the movie. And the woman appears to be talking into a cell phone as she walks along. 1928. So I'm looking at it and I'm thinking, well, it, it does look that way, but I, I don't. I wouldn't have thought that, and I don't think that. And it's funny, you know. So then people started saying, "Oh no, 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 it is." And 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 one person even posted, "Oh well, that's my great aunt, so and so, Gertrude or something." Yeah, she worked for DuPont. <laughs> this is the story. She worked for DuPont in the 1920s, and they had cell phones. They were testing them, and they were letting her use one. I'm like, what? Well, I... how? How is that possible? We didn't have chips. We didn't have networks. We didn't have towers. We didn't have – how is that possible? Why would they let this woman walk around with one? Why is she in a movie with one? Why is no one around her saying, hey, what the hell are you doing, or – Maybe more politely, pardon me. What are you doing? No one looks surprised or shocked or whatever. She does look like she's talking into a cell phone. She's holding it to the side of her head. You can look at my Facebook page. Um, Yeah, this woman claimed it was her great great aunt, Gertrude Jones. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think so. I don't think. And they're like, okay, so if they had invented them in the nineteen twenties. Why'd they wait till the 1980s to roll them out? Like, didn't want to make the money, didn't, what, you know, that just doesn't add up, right? So, uh, and who's she calling? I mean, if if it's like in the experimental phase, you know, there wouldn't be very many people she could be talking to. So, I don't know about all that. Then she got into her Tesla and drove away.
3: Of a white Christmas Just
4: like
2: the ones I used to know
3: Where the tree
0: treetops glisten And children listen to hear
1: Levels in the hey, we asked you on the JR poll: Have you been hit by porch pirates lately? Ninety-three percent no, seven percent yes. I I have been. It has happened to me a couple of times in the last couple of years, um, and it's it, it's um it's funny because somebody coming right up on your porch, or I, I don't have a porch, but like a little entryway. I mean. That's very personal, right? That's not in your space. But at the same time, I know that, that whoever did this, they couldn't have known what they were getting and they didn't get anything great. You know, I can, I can guarantee you they weren't too, they weren't too thrilled when they opened it because it was something that I needed or wanted, but it wasn't anything that would be widely desirable, like a book or something. But anyway, um, yeah, no, it's, it's, it's happening and there's a, an audacity, well, I don't know if you saw in the news over the weekend, I forget when it happened, but sometime over the weekend, uh, Robert De Niro's house, or not house, but, but uh, condo in New York City, was broken into. And it's funny how much news coverage that got, because of course it's Robert De Niro, but... Think about how often that happens every hour of every day in New York City, across the country, every major city. But it has to be like something you oh well, we know him. Or it's you know, he's he's famous. Robert De Niro. So And they caught her. They caught the woman. I don't know if she knew it was Robert De Niro's place or not, or if it was just a target of opportunity. Um Remember uh, on Friday, we talked about the, was it Friday, Dom? We talked about the police officer who um, wanted to meet the woman and ran her uh, plates on the DMV. Mm-hmm. That was Friday, yes, it was. right? Yeah. I got to tell you, I, I, <laughs> we had a lot of calls. We had, a lot of, we had an interesting conversation about that. And then the weekend came, and I got some of the craziest emails from people. And if it wasn't for the podcast, I mean, I, the the podcast of that show and every one of our shows exists as a full episode uh, podcast. If it wasn't for the fact that that's already up on the Internet, Don, I would have had you replay pieces of that from Friday because people heard what they wanted to hear. I never said I thought it was okay that he did that. I never said that you should be able to do it. I never said he shouldn't be punished. I explicitly said every time we came back from a commercial, it's wrong to use a government database. My point was not that he wasn't wrong, but that th- this is something how people meet or, or approach or get approached in the dating world is in the eye of the beholder. Meaning, if somebody who you find very attractive uses some sneaky or roundabout way to meet you, your focus is on how hot they are, how attracted to them you are. You're not sitting there going, "Well, God, this person is a is incredible," but I, I have some issues with their approach. No, no. So. It's not excusing him, it's just saying that people are going to perceive the way you approach them by how much they welcome your approach, that's all. And then I also made the point that I I think generally, and I said generally, men are probably more into the whole, hey, she digs me, and women are more particular about how they are approached and who approaches them. For a man, generally, it's it's a pretty big deal that anyone wants to meet us or talk to us or what, ask us out or give us a phone number. That's just a guy thing. Generally, I'm not saying everybody, but generally. And I think generally, again, with exceptions, it's just different for women. And I understand, and I'm sympathetic to that I'm, I'm the father of a daughter. I get that women would not want to give their credit card to a waiter and then have him hit on her because he wrote down her number or name or something. That's not right. I get it. But boy, people heard what they wanted to here. I had more people write to, than probably anything we've done recently. I had more people write to me and go, "I really disagree with what you said on Friday." And then what they said is what I said. I thought it was very interesting. Guy is still in trouble, by the way. Just an update, he's still facing charges and they say he is very likely to be fired from the police department in Old Saybrook, Connecticut. So- <laughs> So, he's not going out on any dates
3: anytime soon.
1: Well, let me put it to you this way. Um, now a lot of women know who he is. Um, so he's got that going for him. Unfortunately, not in the best way. His picture is now out there. His name and his picture are now out there in a way he could not have dreamed. But probably not in the best way. Yeah. So, but uh, you know what they say? Uh, you got to be out there to meet somebody. He's, he's definitely out there. Um, that this was interesting. Um, You know, electric cars are coming, electric vehicles are coming. A lot of concerns, questions, issues, objections. Most electric uh, vehicles do not have a gearbox, and they don't make any noise. And so now, a lot of the car companies are trying to figure out how to create the experience of driving a gasoline-powered car when you're driving one of their electric cars. So Hyundai has announced that their new Ioniq 5 model um, will have a kind of simulated gearbox. It won't really be one, but it will simulate the action of switching gears. You'll have a, a shifter to throw and... It'll respond to your throws, and it will make noise. And I know there's a number of companies that have developed very sophisticated, digitized, basically soundtracks, so that you're um, both inside the vehicle and even outside the vehicle, despite it being an electric motor that makes no noise, or virtually no noise, you're hearing the revving and the... Engine noises that you would, especially important if it's a performance car or a sports car. It's got to, it's got to have a snarl, right? It's got to have a growl. And so they're building this in to electric cars. You know what's next? I think we need a tailpipe with smoke coming out of it, don't we? I mean, wouldn't that be, I'm just saying, I'm just, right? I'm just saying that would really add to the reality. How about in electric cars, how about you just put an internal combustion engine in there? Just run that sucker anyway, you know, just put out some exhaust, make some noise. I mean, if it's that important to keep the internal combustion experience, there is another way you could do this guys I'm just saying just pointing that out. I think it's hilarious that they're that they're putting the sounds in, they're putting the gearbox in i I we'll see right it's gonna be very interesting. the next several years they're probably not going to go the way anybody presumes. They are going to go. We're going to be back here tomorrow live starting at 4. You can find our show on demand anytime at KTSA.com. And don't forget, on Wednesday night in our 6 o'clock hour, it'll be our worst ever Christmas song countdown, our annual event not to be missed, at least until the following year. See you back here at 4 tomorrow.